In the beginning, there was darkness. Then, there was Paul Brown. Paul Brown transformed the game. Hello, Paul Brown here. Welcome to the first ever International Browns Podcast. Good morning, Cleveland. It's a victory podcast. Hang on a minute. No, it's not. I'm here with Ian. Right, right, right. Ian, it's a reverse role today. You were at the stadium and I watched you on TV. So first of all, let's talk about the atmosphere. Before the game, how was it? You know, it's actually quite wild. And, you know, it's a victory depending on who you're cheering with because I think if you're part of a certain bandwagon of fans, you may have had a victory. But, you know, so uh, my family's obviously from about 20 minutes west of Cleveland. So I was going to be in town for Christmas. You know, my buddy Constantine was like, hey, him and his son were going to the game. So they had a ticket for me. So, you know, shout out to Dan for the ticket. Um, Appreciate you. I'm driving in though, Paul. I'm coming in Lakeshore, and I'm like, "Holy shit!" Like, there is a lot of Browns fans here. The front side of the Muni lot. I got there a little after like ten because I went to. Uh, I had some things to do in the morning. The whole first side of the Muni lot was full. Like, you couldn't park that. I had to park in like the third uh, reservoir, so to say, of the Muni lot. So there was a ton of Browns fans. Um, not a lot. I'm not of surprised. Fans. I'm not surprised. Yeah, there was actually a lot. I mean, to be fair, Paul, it was almost fifty degrees. So the weather was beautiful. I mean, there was the tailgating was fantastic. Um, Bronze fans came out in a, a big, big number today. There was definitely a ninety-five percent Bronze fans in that stadium. And tell us, how was the atmosphere in the stadium? You know, actually, it was. It, it started off okay. I mean, people are going to have their preconceived notions on how they feel the team is doing this year. And you know, for the first half, you could tell Baltimore was knocking on the doorstep and like. They kept kind of getting in their own way. So fans were like cautiously optimistic. You know, the Browns scored the touchdown and everybody's going fire. And then we missed the damn extra point. And everybody's like, same old Browns, same old Browns. You know, people are, wow. We're going to talk about that later on. Oh, later on, later on. The sniper. Um, but then, you know, I think maybe better part of the booze started kicking in. You know, there was guys that if you follow me on Twitter, you'll see my December in Northern Berea. There was people without their shirts on. <clears throat> And then once Freddie kind of, we'll get into this, debacle at the end of the first half, the floodgates opened. In the second half, I mean, pardon my French, but I mean, there was guys in section 527, row 40, screaming, get off your blocks, bitch. I mean, it was, you know, there was, there was definitely the fire Freddie chants were coming through. Um, there, was, there was a lot of colorful language up there, but you could tell Browns fans, I think, just had about enough to the point, I don't know if you saw it on TV. Did you see Baker like using his arm to basically shoo away the crowd after they were booing him on one? I mean, it, it was just getting to that point where you could tell a season of expectations has quickly turned into a season of frustrations. Yeah. And then afterwards, tell me, what was it like? Did you hear any fire for any chance? Oof, yeah, there was, there, was, there was quite a bit of those. What theme do they sing it to? The same. You were talking about like Baker Mayfield. It was fire Freddy. And then um, there was some other colorful language in there that uses the F word that was laced in there a little bit. Um, but I think in just a little bit of a microcosm of the frustrations is, so 
at the end of the game, because I sit in my seat until double zero, there was about a row of Ravens fans that had all made their way down to the first row behind the Ravens bench. And the Ravens players had started kind of, you know, jimping and jawing and stuff like that after the game once they clinched the number one seed. So as I was leaving, most of the Ravens fans, you know, the several hundred of them that were, were there, and Browns fans were not taken to their language. And, you know, I heard a lot of, you know, we're, you know, the reason you have a team is because of us and yada, yada, yada. So there was the Browns fans afterwards definitely had a lot of pent up hostility that they were unleashing on some, uh, some passing Ravens fans. And they were very quickly to remind us that we are in fact the Browns and that they are in fact the number one team in the NFL. Ugh, it makes me sick. It does, doesn't it? Oh, it's just right. It's, it's painful because we beat the, we beat the hell out of that team, you know, 13 weeks ago. And they've gotten better and we've gotten worse. And it's kind of wild because a lot of people, you know, and I know we did a, a podcast on it when the schedule comes out. A lot of people talk about the schedule. Well, Baltimore played what we did the second half of the year. They played in the first half of the year. So they were able to gain positive momentum. I mean, they started the season off beating Miami and beating rookie quarterback Kyler Murray. And Kyler Murray in week 16 is growing. I don't know if anyone noticed, but they're up 20 to seven on the Seahawks right now. So, <laughs> I mean, this is the team that we were supposed to roll over and stomp last week. And here they are out, you know, beating the pants off of uh, Seattle. Who's, who's what 11 and three. So Baltimore really took advantage of an easy part of the early schedule. You know, they ran into KC, they got beat. They ran into us, they got beat. Um, and then from there, they were able to just build up a lot of momentum. So when they went on to play teams, they just, Caught the teams at the right time, and the Browns, they started the season with a bunch of games they should have won, and, well, now they're paying for it. Yeah, so, so annoying the result, and uh, I honestly thought we were going to win this game as well. And everyone listens to me, it's like, I'm always positive, but I generally thought that we were going to win the game, and I started looking at all the um, other games going in our way as well. Yeah. Three, out like of the four, three out of the four things that needed to happen today happened with uh, – with the fiance Steelers going down in heartbreak, oh tear, and the Saints winning, and in fact the Colts winning. But you know, I think whenever that came out, both of us said the hardest thing on there was going to be beating the Ravens. They had something to play for. It would have been a lot better if we played the Bengals this week and then the Ravens next week. But the schedule makers are not doing us any favors. But honestly, going in, I was optimistic. I think we have, I think in week four when we beat them, we had a very good game plan. Um, to beat them and we had the players to do it and you know this is the one thing that uh, Jack Duffin and I'll disagree on is you know why did we trade Kevin Zeitler for an overpriced defensive end because that defensive end knows how to set the edge and if you're going to play in the AFC North against a quarterback like Lamar Jackson you need somebody who can set the edge so you know I was actually having this conversation and I'll ask you where in so you have 22 starting positions in the NFL the most important is going to be the quarterback where do you put right guard on that list? Chances are it's probably not in your top 10 and it's probably not in your top 15. But when you have a pass rusher like Miles Garrett and then John Dorsey looks at the Chad Thomases, the Gennard Avery at the time, and none of those guys were really good at setting the edge, he had to go out and replace a high-valued price player in a right guard and allocate that money to a more sound player in uh, Olivier Vernon because he needed to stop Lamar Jackson. And any Browns fan that goes back and watches week four sees the impact that Olivier Vernon has on a guy like Lamar Jackson. The Browns today did not have that guy. 
And it showed because the Browns have nobody that can set the edge. Their defensive line is probably the worst in the league right now. Um, so when I saw that Olivier Vernon was ruled out, I was then quickly shifted from winning to hopefully we covered the spread. We didn't either. Do you think Wilkes is gone? You know, I, I don't know because here's the thing. I challenge you to name me more than one linebacker on this team that would even start for any of the other 31 teams in the NFL. That includes Cincinnati. That includes Miami. Listen, I get Mac Wilson is a very talented guy, but he is a fifth round pick for a reason. He is clueless in the run game. He is a, he is a guy that Pittsburgh puts in their system for three years before he ever sees the starting field. Because yeah, in situational downs, maybe you want to bring him in as like, you know, a third linebacker and he can play coverage against a good tight end, which he's good at, but he is abysmal against the run. And Joe Schobert is the only linebacker we have. And as we said, he's good, maybe upwards of above average, but he's not an elite linebacker. And it shows because Steve Wilkes is playing with basically one, one and a half linebackers, one real defensive tackle, a pseudo okay tackle in Larry Owen, J-O-B, and the rest of that front seven is, is abysmal. So to answer your question, is he gone? Maybe. Should he be gone? I don't know. I mean, at the end of the day, that Browns defense is terrible right now. I mean, I don't know if you saw the touchdown of Mark Andrews. I don't know what the hell Damaris Randall's doing. I mean, I'm watching that from the above, and he's covering a side of the field. There's no receiver there. TJ Carey looks over at him. He's like, what are you doing? So I like Demarius Randall. Enjoy free agency, buddy. I, I, he, he has massively regressed this year. He has lost a shit ton of money for himself. So unless he's willing to take the most economical prove-it one-year deal, um, I think we will be uh, bidding him farewell. Tell you what, let's what start the offense. Well, we, real quick, do you think they should fire Wilkes from what you see? I'm putting my commercial head on it at this point. Is that Rachel? She she's not she's not phoning to say the Steelers won. So um, no, she is not. But yes, that is her. I will I will send her a text message saying busy podcast in recording. Oh God, um, that go down well. Um, so I think my commercial head on that the Browns have been consistently at the moment in the aspect of giving Hugh Jackson two and a half years. I think they can flip the head coach position as we've got so much talent. I think they can get away with it, showing that they are consistently backing their manager. That's my view. And if I was the Haslam's with this talent, I would seriously consider changing the manager with the fact of then it's either the manager or Dorsey or we should just fucking sell the club because, you know. Well, to be fair, all the people that bitch about the Haslam's, they're not selling. That is a money machine. So at the end of the day, everybody can not like the Haslam's and not like JW on Twitter and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, no, they're not giving up an asset like the Browns that are cash cows. So, you know, at the end of the day, people have to remember, and, you know, Jack and I had this discussion a week ago regarding John Dorsey and, John Dorsey is as much to blame for that product on the field right now as anybody because, again, John Dorsey put together that coaching staff. That is not Freddie Kitchens' staff. 
That is a John Dorsey. Hey, I know all these guys in the league and I think they would be a great staff. So does Dorsey say, okay, I'm going to fire kitchens and keep these other guys that I had already earmarked. No, I mean, at the end of the day, Freddie kitchens hasn't even been on the job for a calendar year. Did he look terrible today? Yeah. I mean, today was one of his bad days. Um, that what happened before half, I, I don't know. I know hindsight's always twenty twenty, but I'm standing there in the 500s looking at the clock and saying, we took over with a minute and 24 seconds to go. They have no timeouts. I have no problem with the Browns being aggressive, and we'll get into this a little bit more. But the fact that after two batted balls that almost intercepted, just run that ball. I mean, I, 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 I understand why he did it. I just don't agree with it. So, and that kind of leads us into the – you know, the offense, you know, how do you think they did today? How would you rate them? Four out of 10. It's probably a pretty good number for the sake of argument. I'm going to go five only because Odell Beckham got a touchdown. So we won't have to listen to that shit all week. Frustrating though. Like, is it Baker just throwing the ball too hard? And like Harris and Ricky, Ricky Silver Jones. Just like not catching them balls. You know, I watch a lot of football, Paul, and I watched yesterday. I watched Deshaun Watson, who throws the ball with some mustard. And tonight, um, we're going to watch the uh, Patrick Mahomes. And guess what? He's got a howitzer. Russell Wilson has a howitzer. I mean, these guys have arms. There's a reason that they throw the ball hard. And, you know, I don't have any issue with the Browns going for it on – uh, going for that two-point conversion, no problem whatsoever. I think all the analytical people came out and said, yeah, that's pretty much what you do because if you don't get it, if you kick the extra point, you're still down eight. And then even if you hold them and score again and don't get the two-point, you have such a small window of time to chase that point. By going for it with seven and a half minutes, you now know, hey, we didn't get it. I've got to make up nine points, but I have seven minutes to do it. So analytically, it made sense for me, or it made sense for them to go for it on the two-point conversion. And at the end of the day, catch the ball, Ricky Seals Jones. I mean, it was a great play. I mean, he was open. And could Baker have put less mustard on it? Maybe. Yes. Okay. It, but catch the ball. It's very simple. Demetrius Harris, you broke free of your man. The ball hit you in the hands. Catch it. Just squeeze the little thing. It's a little pigskin. Just pinch it with your hands. Frustrating. All right, well, let's move on. I don't want to don't go on this about this all night long because uh... – Yeah. Well, and I think – we'll finish up on offense. I think that just the glaring weaknesses we have on offense is Chris Hubbard was not terrible today, and the Browns did not give up a sack today, but he is not good. And Wyatt Teller struggles. And the problem I think the Browns have, and I get it, that everybody in the, in the stadium and everybody on TV, the minute the Browns get inside the red zone, it's like chub, 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 chub. When the Ravens knew you were running the ball, you could not run the ball. There was no way in that was happening. So you don't have the ability at first and goal to just line up and punch somebody in the mouth and punch it in. So, you know, I know Dorsey's watching the game, and I'm sure, listen, there's 0% chance that I know more about football in any capacity than John Dorsey. And if I see it, I am 1,000% sure he sees it. 
He needs to get more physical on offense because right now we are so finesse. We are no power. Nick Chubb is a power back, but we have all finesse guys up front. We don't have that road grader mover, not the Kevin Zeitlers who go up and down forward. We need a guy that's going to move like a Quentin Nelson and blow people off the ball. Because right now, we don't have one. Treader and Batonio are good. Greg Robinson is average. And the other two guys suck. And Juku, why is he inactive? You know, I think we talk about accountability and I have not, we haven't gotten a good report on it. And, you know, maybe down next week in Cincinnati, we can ask around and kind of maybe find out if there's a little bit more to the backstory of why David Njoku is not playing. But I think the coaching staff has made it very clear. If you do not give me a chance to win the game, you know, because at the end of the day, we have to remember NFL coaches, NFL players want to win more than anything in the world. That is their job. It doesn't matter how they do it. Their job is to win. If they have a player that gives them a better chance to win, they will play. They don't hold personal grudges. It's nothing like that. If a player does what he is supposed to do and he, is, and he gives them a better chance to win, they will play. David Njoku is doing something that, he is, that they feel he is not their best option to win. So it's because mainly they, they need that extra tight end to save those tackles. So he just has no interest in blocking. Um, you know, Steven Carlson, I mean, hey, this guy's doing anything. He's lined up as fullback. He's lined up as wingback. I mean, he'll do whatever you ask him to do. So I think maybe they need a little bit more guys like that. And maybe somebody like Njoku should buy into the system and say, hey, you know, like we said the other day, football needs to be your number one priority. Do as you're told. Just fall in line. Be a team player. I mean, I just can't see, you know, him playing for one of these Bill Belichick or, you know, any of these high-demand offenses and doing his job. Because if he was, he'd be playing. Defense, what are you giving it? Well, I gave him a zero last week because I just thought it was one of the worst performances ever. Um, this week, I think that in the first half, they played really well for their capabilities. But like I said, it just felt like the raging waters of the Ravens were coming and the defense did everything and every, anything they could to hold that back. And then I think Demarius Randall and the dam broke. So I give them a two. Mm. I think they just, I... they, there's no pass rush. They don't have an NFL. They've one NFL starting linebacker right now. They have another guy in Mac Wilson that should be dominating on special teams. They have Taki Taki who should be on special teams. And these guys are playing meaningful snaps because we don't have any good linebackers. Joe Schobert is a good linebacker. So I take that back. We don't have two starting caliber NFL linebackers. I'm going to go with three. Ooh. What did you see that gives him a three today? I've dug myself a hole with that three, haven't I? Um, a, I think that's a consolation prize. Porter Gustin recovering a fumble. Did that give it a plus one? Wow. That was the answer I was looking for. I know how much you love those practice squad guys and those like bottom of the roster guys. So when Lamar Jackson and Mark Ingram can't make a handoff and one of those guys jumps on the ball, boom, point for Paul. I just forgotten that the player... 2016 LA Chargers Browns. Oh, that's easy. I, I don't even hear Jamie Meter. Jamie Meter. That guy's just on a Jamie Meter. He's got a one year extension on his contract. <laughs> you know, listen, the one thing about Porter Gustin, and I knock on him because he's not really an NFL starting caliber uh, defensive end, you are right. He gives at least effort, which I can't complain. 
Uh, but actually, I don't know if you saw, Jamie Meter actually signed with the Lions this week. So he is back in the yeah. NFL. The pierogi prince of Parma is back. Um, but yeah, I, I like the effort. Uh, the problem is, is minus Miles Garrett, minus Olivier Vernon, Larry Ogunjobi has come back to being just another guy. And Sheldon Richardson's basically doing whatever he can out there. Um, I don't know if you saw, he got into a kerfuffle as well. So he had to be removed from the field. And he decided he was going to go ahead and chuck his helmet and gloves and all that stuff too. Next, uh, next point is special teams. What went wrong with that kick? Because it was bloody close in the aspect of it, what, it looked, looked like, like a kick it from that distance and he misses. Well, the extra point is 35 yards or 33 yards. They, um, they kick it from the 25, 25 yard line. So it's 32, 33 yards in the stadium. I mean, it had great trajectory and I kind of looked and I looked at the guy next to me. I was like, did that miss left? And he's like, yep. Cause then we looked down and saw the guy given, and that was on the opposite end from we were. So based on from whatever replay I could see, it just looks like he pulled it, which means it's, you know, chances are that his plant foot's probably inside where it should be. The problem is, not that he missed an extra point because obviously you want to make those. But the problem is, is you, you open the door for the same old Brown stuff. I mean, it was zero, zero. The Browns are fighting. They're clawing. They're scratching. They're doing everything they possibly can to stay in that game. They score a touchdown and it was aided by every single thing that could have gone wrong, went right in their favor. The most anti Brownsy things ever. They were getting penalties and gifts and all this stuff and they punch it in beautiful play. Play action, Demetrius Harris, touchdown. Crowd's going nuts. Woo! Missed extra point. The whole stadium. You can just feel it. Like the, the groan. It's just like this audible Doug Deacon-like groan where it's just like, ugh. What did it remind you of? What game this season did it remind you of? What was the game earlier where Deacon just goes, oh. But, I mean, it's just – it's too often. And Remind me of the Titans game. We're going to win a Super Bowl. We've just done this massive oh, drive. 75-yard screen pass to Derrick Henry, and everybody's like, oh. Yeah. yeah. No, actually, that's probably a good, a good one. But, you know, Cybert is a good kicker. I, I, I don't doubt that. And, you know, eight out of ten times he makes those. We saw it. But he's got to be more consistent. I mean, when you're going up against the Baltimore Ravens, who have an elite kicker in Justin Tucker, an elite punter in Sam Cook. And, you know, I know last week they had a little bit of a special teams um, fallback, but you knew for a fact that the Ravens were going to come back today. But other than that missed field goal, I thought the special teams played pretty well. I mean, I'll give it a six because of the missed kick. But for the most part, I mean, it honestly was a, an eight-level performance. The kick coverage was good. I thought the returns were solid. Jamie Gillen has a leg like no other. It must be that kilt that he wore into the stadium. It gave him superpowers. Um, everything looked good. I mean, Kadero Hodge. So what's wild is after the Browns scored that touchdown, um, they go for the two-point conversion. They don't get it. All that shit happens with Odell and Freddie. Um, the ensuing kickoff, right? So you had all that momentum going. The ensuing kickoff, man, Hodge just pow, hits wow. that guy in the mouth. The stadium's going wild. I looked at my guy. I said, listen, if we're going to flip this, we got the momentum right now. The place kind of woke up. It was like, ooh. You know, it was like you were talking about at the Steelers with that renegade. The stadium's all fired up. Here we go. Here we go, Brownies. And like another missed kick. Just nothing. I think a couple plays later, they had a couple first downs, and then you could hear a pin drop about two minutes later. So special teams did what they can. I get it. Um, 
And they're, you know, they're doing it with guys that are, you know, playing good roles. But the problem is, is you win the special teams battle and your offense sucks and your defense sucks. Chances are you're going to lose a game. Yeah, I think six is a fair number. I think Hodge, that smack was awesome. And he loved right. it. You know? And that, I think that kind of gives you a reason why Higgins is not in the uh, starting team. Oh, absolutely. I think Daryl Hodge is one of those guys like Steven Carlson that says, put me on punt, kickoff, put me out there as an X receiver, you know, put me anywhere and everywhere you can just get me on the field. And, you know, I actually, I was talking today with some guys. Let me ask you this. Where does Odell Beckham? So we're talking receiver slots. We're talking about outside or inside. Where does Odell Beckham exceed the best out of what position on the line as a wide receiver? Yeah. Out wide. See, I think he's better in the slot. I think Odell, Jarvis, and Higgins all excel as a slot receiver. So I think the problem they have in getting Higgins on the field is he does exactly what Odell and Jarvis do. Because I've noticed they don't really line Odell up all that much out there. They like to get him inside so he can have releases, you know, either the out or the uh, outside of the inside. But they basically have three receivers in Higgins, Jarvis, and um, Odell that really, I think, all prefer that slot. So I think that's another one of the reasons that Higgins isn't getting that many snaps is, you know, I just don't think that he's obviously better than the other two guys, and I don't know how well he is at the outside. So just something to think about because you don't hear many talking about that, that. We basically have three receivers that are all play the same role, just two of them play it a lot better. Yeah, just looking at the uh, box score, um, Dernis Johnson and – Higgins both had a return each. I did see that uh, on one of the pooches that Higgins was out there. So, but, you know, he's just one of those mystery stories where I think that at the end of the day, um, he, he got in the, co- I don't know if he got in the coach's doghouse. I just think that, I don't know if Mike Prefer just is looking at him like, you're not willing to do what I want. Um, I think maybe the only person that knows what happened to Richard Higgins is Richard Higgins. Didn't Ratley have a good catch on the outside, but I think it was – was. Yeah, he did. It was actually – he caught it, and then he lost it a little bit and then caught it again, um, but he was out of bounds. But it was a great effort, and I think they really do like him. Um, so hopefully going into year three, they can see a little bit more out of him because he was a six-round pick last year, and you know I'd like to see some things come out of him because to, uh, to keep Jack Duffin off the ledge, we need to have some low-priced guys uh, actually start performing, and we need to stop relying on the top – top 10% of our roster to do everything because unfortunately that's one of the reasons that we're just not producing you know the Browns overall just are not a physical team they're not they're very skilled on the outsides but they've got about 10 or 12 guys that are worth a damn and then it gets really soft very quick I mean we are not tough in the trenches we get dominated by the Steelers we get dominated by the Ravens I mean their offensive line was just mauling us today I mean every play you look at Lamar Jackson. I mean, he was back there all day. We didn't get a sack on him. I mean, he had all day to run, all day to pass. So, you know, let's get this Miles Garrett contract done. Let's get the Joe Schobert contract done. And, you know, let's start plugging some of these holes with some physical guys because right now we just lack an element of physicality. It's really annoying seeing their tight end third round just just catch everything. And then we've got Njuku, who's first-round talent and – yeah. And, the, and the tight end that they drafted over in Lamar Jackson, Hayden Hurst. I mean, he's not doing much. So it just shows it really doesn't matter. I mean, George Kittle, I think, was the ninth tight end drafted the year he came out. You know, a lot of it doesn't have to do with where you're drafted at that position. I think tight ends, one of those ones is how hard are you going to work? You know, 
if you're going to put the time in, you're going to put the effort in to be a blocker. I mean, look at a guy like Heath Miller, you know, with Pittsburgh, who was just constantly doing everything they needed him to do. Guy has a 10 or 12 uh, year career and is just a top tier tight end. I just think that a lot of these guys want to be wide receivers and, you know, you just run into some things, but I don't know. It, overall, it is kind of frustrating watching Baker's buddy, Mark Andrews, sit there and just dominate us. And I think he leads the league in uh, touchdowns as a tight end. So that hurts even a little bit more. I'm going to wrap this podcast up by saying, what's next, Dan? You know, I do believe that a certain uh, someone is flying into Chicago on Saturday, correct? Correct, yeah. So uh, going to go to the Bengals game. And uh, the number one thing is to finally, one of my life goals is to go to the Paul Brown Stadium to see what it's all about. So uh, I hope to be in a bad state Sunday because it's a bachelor party on Saturday night. So, um, yeah, it's going to be a great weekend. Well, maybe we'll do like a live podcast when we're driving down Interstate 65. That sounds exciting. It could be interesting. But Who's got the yeah. most data, the free data that we can use? Oh, me, for sure. Okay, that's brilliant. That's for sure. I don't want to use up all that international data of yours. Um, what happens next is we go to Cincinnati next week, and the Bengals, damn it, if they didn't fight hard to now. If you saw, Miami ended up beating them in overtime. But I don't know why, but since he all of a sudden just in the fourth quarter turned it on, I think they scored 23 points in the fourth quarter to tie it up. Um, Dalton, I think, threw for damn near 400 yards, four touchdowns. So, there's, I mean, that team's fighting. They locked up the number one pick. So they are going to just play free to the win, loosey-goosey, because at this point it doesn't matter for them, win or loss. So the Browns better buckle the chin straps next week because I think the Bengals are going to come out and give them, a, you know, give them a game. Now, I think it's going to be you, me, and Dupree there to watch it. I don't think there's going to be many of us in the stadium. But I do think it will actually be a relatively eventful game. But I think that – a couple weeks ago, it's probably already started where Dorsey's having to take a serious look in the mirror and wonder, you know, where's this ship going that he has built and how is he going to get it to where he wants? Because, you know, he told us at the beginning of the season, you know, he's going to, I'm telling you, he's going to live and die by that real football players comment. And he got some, but at the end of the day, if we have to overhaul 20, 25 guys off this roster again, I mean, you're just in a perpetual cycle of suck. And I don't care if you bring in Mike McCarthy. I don't care if you bring in Ron Rivera. If you're constantly changing over half of your roster and then expecting playoffs the next year, that is a vicious cycle of failure. So, you know, one of the reasons that I am on board, and I'm, you know, I know people out there, well, you just want to keep Freddie for the sense of, you know, keeping him around because you want to have, um, con you know, continuation in the next year, blah, blah, blah. And listen, part of that is true, but at the end of the day, if you have an entirely brand new team put together and you have a first-time head coach, and let me remind you, Freddie Kitchens is the second best first-time head coach in the league this year. I think the combined record was like going into this week was like 30 and 50 or 30 and 52 and one. I mean, you have Matt LaFleur, who's a first-time head coach, but has Aaron Rodgers. And the rest of these guys are on teams where they're overhauling half of their roster. And if I'm not mistaken, I think Dorsey turned over like 35 players over the last year. I mean, that's insane. So you just need to have some sort of continuity. You need to have some sort of just a continual cycle because all of a sudden we fire Wilkes. And now all that personnel that we drafted that we're going to fix with Wilkes' system, 
like a Gennard Avery for um, what's it, for Greg Williams' system goes out the door because you switch coordinators, you switch systems. You know, so you're constantly shaking things up and you're not letting things settle long enough to actually get results. And the problem with the NFL is it's a results-based business. So when you're losing, everything that you're doing is wrong. And when you're winning, everything is right. I.e., look at Sean McVay. Last year, if you smelled Sean McVay's hair on a Tuesday afternoon, you were getting hired as an NFL job. But then all of a sudden this year, well, wait a minute. His offenses aren't as potent when he doesn't have an offensive line. His running back is injured. All those weapons, Cooper Cup, Robert Woods, Brandon Cooks, Tyler Higby, Gerald Everett, He's got a $110 million quarterback, and every three weeks they put up a good offensive performance. But see, there's continuity in the NFL. You need to keep things together. You need to build something. Now, if in a couple of years you figure out, like Freddie does dumb shit like he did today and doesn't run the ball with one minute and 12 seconds left to run 40 seconds off the clock, Freddie, come on. I'm up in the 500s and I can see that, my man. Run the ball. You gave it two shots. I get it. But if that's still happening in a year or two years from now, okay, then you start figuring out. But to try to come out and say, this guy's not the right job, or the guy that's behind me yelling about Freddie's weight and how he's a fat blah, 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 and all this stuff, like, those are just, those are just listening to fans. And, you know, I get it. It's hard to sit there. I mean, it was painful to watch that game wind down, and you're looking at a team that you handled 13 weeks ago, just come in here and just – I mean, they just bullied us. I mean, it, was, it wasn't even close. And that's tough. It's tough as a fan. And I get we want instant results. But we're have, at this point, we have not put in an effort with a coach when we're constantly cycling them over. So what happens next? I'm sure pandemonium. The drama team of America, the reality TV show that is the Browns, you know, Odell's yelling at Freddie, and then everybody finds out that he wasn't yelling at Freddie. He was yelling to Freddie about somebody. The refs are telling him they're going to eject him if he – does the spider-man thing again i mean it's always something yeah he does the spider-man every game no flags today flag and then they tell him by the way that's your first unsportsmanlike conduct do it again and you're gone they're gonna eject him so i think what happened was is after his touchdown i don't know if he when he ran up the tunnel if he did it again or whatever or not but the ref said something to him shoot him back to the bench and he's pointing at marcus peters like this guy's dancing over me every single play he doesn't get a flag i wave with my hand and get one and then Sheldon Richardson after the game's talking about how all the players are standing over Sheldon Redwine, and the official tells him to get out of there, and just because he doesn't leave, they throw a flag at him? I mean, that's the shit that always happens to the Browns because we're the drama team of America. We're not America's team. We're the drama team of America. Everything. Every, I saw, did you see today, Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer's going to be the coach of the Browns. And, you know, Billy, Jimmy Bufootslick and Billy Cundiff and all these other random kickers I can't think of right now. It's always something because they know I can speculate, I can throw shit against the wall, and Browns fans are going to click the shit out of it and get me paid. And that's what happens. Well, Another look, thing that happens. Ian, you wanted to um, make a comment to, about one of our listeners? Yeah, I want to give a shout out. So um, one, of my, one of my buddies uh, from Columbus, I played softball with him for a number of years, good friend of mine. Um, unfortunately, you know, passed away, uh, this week and he was a Brown season ticket holder. Uh, he was just a Cleveland guy through and through, love the Indians, love the Cavs, love the Browns. I mean, him and I, I remember in the 2016 going into 17 season, we probably spent 50 hours of our life talking about Mitch Trubisky, Miles Garrett and everything. And, you know, shout out to my guy, Matt White, Matty White, Matty Ice, 
just overall such a good dude. Um, his brother played baseball at John Carroll. You know, I don't, I can't imagine what Chris and his family are going through. Uh, Maddie was struck by a car uh, last weekend down in Columbus and unfortunately wasn't able to recover. You know, he, he used to send me texts kind of about the podcast. So um, just shout out to Matt and his family. I mean, it's just a terrible tragedy. Um, he would have definitely been at the game today, but you know, it just kind of reminds us that, you know, why we sometimes emotionally get caught up a lot in what goes on on the field that, you know, a lot goes on off the field. I mean, just this week, you know, I was, I was indirectly connected to three guys in their thirties that all passed away. You know, my dad's best friend's son passed away, Maddie passed away. And then a, a friend of mine from high school, her husband passed away, um, who was actually another, uh, from Vermilion, Brandon Wilhelm. Um, so shout out to all the families because around the holidays, you know, I think sometimes we lose perspective on what's going on because our football team can't win on the field. Uh, but there's bigger things that are go on from that. So, you know, hug your, hug your loved ones and, you know, don't let the Browns drive you too crazy because there's a lot more people out there that would love to watch this team lose. Um, but unfortunately they're no longer with us. So. Ian, wonderful words. Where can people find your details? Ian 19 on Twitter. Um, if you guys have anything, reach out. DMs are open. Um, I think, you know, Jack and I were talking about recapping after the season to see where the Browns go from here. But, um, you know, after today's performance, I think Browns fans, keep your eye on a, a linebacker from Oklahoma, Kenneth Murray, and a linebacker slash safety from Clemson named Isaiah Simmons. Uh, those are two guys that I wouldn't mind seeing in the orange and brown because we need some athletic linebackers. And Ken Murray from Oklahoma and Isaiah Simmons from Clemson, I think, would look damn good in the orange and brown. <coughs> very good Ian well it's a non-victory podcast well, it's a victory because I get to see you in a couple days we get to road trip down to Cincinnati so all the Browns fans shout out to everybody in the media lot today I was telling them about the good words the Union Jack shorts I'm sure are making its way back across the pond um, you know if you see us let us know where you're going to be next week uh, we'll be tearing up the, uh, the Ohio River so I may take you across the, across the river over into Covington, Kentucky Ooh, another state. I know. We may go from Paul Brown Stadium to another state. I've heard they got good bourbon over there. The only state I'm going to be in uh, Cincinnati is uh, alcoholically drunk. We'll see. We'll see about that. We're going to pace, pace yourself. All right, Ian. All right. I'm down in Cornwall, so uh, there's a storm, there's a gale coming, so uh, uh, I'm going to get some sleep. Yeah, and for all those people that haven't seen, you know, I think in America when we picture Englishmen going hunting, I think the exact image of what, I ha what you're coming up with is what Paul looks like hunting. He's got the ball moral cap. He walks with his boots. It, was, it, it definitely created a few. Don't you hunt that in America? No. They wear a bunch of camouflage and orange over here. We don't really? go dress like Paddington Bear. Oh, yeah. I'll show you some pictures. It's good stuff. Man, if I get any listeners, if I get invited to a hunt, I'm coming proper British. I'm not messing around. You going to go hunting quail or do you even know what that looks like? Yeah, I know what quail is. Little chicken. <laughs> but I am, I don't wear a tie. I'm, I'm lawless. I don't wear a tie. You should wear a tie on a hunt in England and I don't. Yeah. I'll, I'll leave that for you, the Brits. So, all right, buddy. Do you shoot yourself in? I do not. I leave that up to the fiance. She's the, she's the trained uh, marksman of the relationship. All right, brilliant. All right, Ian, take care, buddy. Go Browns. Look, Go Browns. We're going to end the season on a win next week. I can feel it in my blood. Um, we're going to end up seven and nine, and then we're going to hit the offseason running. And, you know, good things for the Browns in 2020. I actually agree with Jack on that, that a lot of the guys that I think underperformed this year are going to play pretty well next year. So good things for the Browns in 2020. Just got to, 
you know, figure out which, which direction we're going to have this ship going and uh, steer it in the right direction. Looking at the last two games, I'm going to challenge a question on the podcast this week is, would we have made the playoffs with Miles Garrett? Because we're so close today in the aspect of everyone else winning and uh, we losing, you know, there could have been a chance. I definitely think that that Steelers game, especially, um, Miles Garrett makes a difference. I mean, he is an elite, elite defensive player. And when you have a guy like Kyler Murray running around with no pass rush, or you have a guy like Devlin Hodges, which the Jets lit him up today, um, it helps. And I think, I think the Miles Garrett, I mean, a lot of people talk about the games, they're all when we had Miles. So now we talk about we don't have him. He is solely All right, Ian, get some sleep. Go Browns. Go Browns. Change is coming. <laughs> <laughs>